The rest of us will be in our lesson today. <clears throat> We're in lesson six of Changing to His Image. Does everybody need a, a lesson today? Anybody here not have one that needs one today? Okay. Brother <clears throat> Steve is on that. He'll help you with that. And if you don't have a pen, we need to get a pen. Anybody need a pen this morning? Yeah. I'm going to talk like Darth Vader. Is that okay? Nice and deep. That way I can get it all out. <clears throat> I'm excited about our lesson today. Um, really, this is one of my favorite lessons in this whole series. Uh, I think it helps us to get our mind right about what we're talking about. And, and it really sets the foundation for... Um, really everything we've already talked about and everything we're going to talk about in the future. And so I'm very excited about our lesson six, which is this, getting in touch with reality. And so we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, if you would find your place there. And whenever you find your place, stand, if you wouldn't mind, at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read these two verses, and we'll just get right into our lesson uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, we'll read verse 3, and we'll read verse 6. The writer of Hebrews says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God, to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you see the foundation here? You, you cannot live the Christian life. You cannot do anything that's worth doing, really, without the foundation of faith, without having the correct worldview in your mind. You need, to, you need to process. You can take in information and, and you, can, you can make decisions and, and use your intellect, but, but you have to start from this place. What is true? What is actually real? And we have to come at it from a framework that God is real. We're going to talk about I'm going to head myself. But, but it has to come from this standpoint. God doesn't have to prove himself, does he? We have to get to the place where he doesn't have to prove himself and that we, we approach life knowing reality and the way that it is. So let's pray and we'll get into it this morning. Lord, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for being so good to us. Thank you for uh, helping us to see things that even as we uh, touched on in, in our verse, that things that we cannot see, Lord, you and, and how this world started and, and where we're headed and, and what do you offer in salvation, these things we cannot see on our own. We needed your word. And I'm thankful for it. Thank you, God, for telling us who you are. Thank you for showing us, Lord, how that we can know you. And I pray that you help us to have faith in that and to follow you. We love you. Christ is my prayer. Amen and amen. You may be seated. And so the world says, right in our notes, and sadly many Christians say that Bible solutions will not work in the quote-unquote real world. That's the blank. The real world. 
I think I said this last week sometime. Whenever you preach every service, you forget which sermon you said what in. It's all kind of squished together. But at some point, I, I talked about how that homeschool kids, you know, and they, if you homeschool your kids, um, people outside will say, well, why are you homeschooling your kids? Don't they need to know the real world? And if you think what our kids are getting is the real world, then uh, maybe we can have a longer conversation about that. Um, but people say the Bible doesn't work in the real world. The irony of their complaint is that the Bible alone gives the only true picture of the real world. That's the blank. The Bible is the real world. The, the one who created the universe wrote the Bible and told us how he made it. This is the real world, you see? We're, our world is living in a fake fantasy world where you can be whatever you want and there's no God and just live it up. And when you die, it's over. That's a fake world. It's not real. This is the real world. Okay. What is the reality that we need? Berg quotes this in his book. By the way, uh, if you don't know, I think you probably do by now. This is from a book called Changes to His Image. Jim Berg, awesome book, great read. I've read it four times. I plan to read it again. Here's what he said. Reality is that there is a God in heaven. Reality is that he made us and we're accountable to him. Reality is that this God has spoken and what he says matters eternally. And what he said will will be, I'm sorry, I'm trying to talk, and I'm trying to be loud, but it's hard. What he said will be true forever. It has always been true. It always will be true. Reality is that without his salvation, we are doomed to eternal torment. That's reality. Reality is that God's son, Jesus Christ, has died for the sins of the world, and he has risen again, and that whosoever believes on him is given eternal life. This is the real world, and only a believer walking in fellowship with his creator and his redeemer can really understand it. That's the real world. I'll take a drink. So. I love... Um, the book, again, you got to read the book because it's, he goes in way more detail. But on page 114, he, he talks about this illustration of a tribesman. I'm just going to tell it to you. And he's from the Amazon. And, you know, this doesn't actually happen, but it's an illustration. And you just imagine someone taking a, a tribe's person from a tribe in, in the Amazon who's never seen any other civilization. And you pick him up and you drop him in, in Times Square. And how freaked out he'd be, right? Um, he'd obviously experience fear. Right? <clears throat> Frustration, confusion, depression. Everything he knew is, doesn't make any sense. Where he is, nothing makes sense. He, he may become violent <clears throat> as he attempts to solve his New York City problems his own way. He might, he might deal with conflict the way they do it in the tribe, you know? They, everything's different. Here's what he needs he desperately needs someone who can bring sense to his new world. See? And I'll say this, probably 
if you dropped him in Times Square, everyone would figure out this guy is not from here. And there'd probably be some that would try to help, and he probably would reject it and get a little bit violent. And I'll get out of my face, I'll figure it out, and maybe he's scared. And that, that's the, but listen, that's the state of mankind, isn't it? All right, when man tries to make sense of life apart from God, he'll experience fear, frustration, confusion, and depression. Man's ways of dealing with life will not work in the world that God created. God created the world to, to operate and run a specific way. And when, when man, our, our world is trying to live this life without God, and, it, and it's causing broken people. It's causing fear because nothing is, they have nothing to hope for. It's causing frustration because everything they try doesn't work. It's causing confusion because everything doesn't make sense. They, they feel like it should be one way, but it's not working. Why? It's because they've taken the central focus of life out of the equation. And through his word, through his word, he brings us into touch with reality. Yeah. That's the blank reality. And by the end of this lesson, you should be able to do this. <clears throat> One, recognize why without God, it's impossible. It's impossible to understand the world and your place in it. We've got a lot of people in our world that don't know who they are, don't know why they're here, trying to figure it out, trying to be happy, and thinking if they change certain things that that'll bring the fulfillment that they're looking for, and, and it's never going to work. It's never going to work. It's only through, through God and His Word. The next is to understand the dynamics of building a relationship with God Himself. Okay, so number one, more than relief from problems. The blankest problems. More than relief from problems. Problems such as despondency, anger, worry, fear, and lust indicate a need for a relationship with God. That's why all of those all of those symptoms are that. They're just symptoms of the root problem, which is a need for a relationship with God. By the way, that's true for lost and saved people. Saved people can experience these things, and when they do, what's happened is they've lost their personal relationship, that thriving walk with God, and they need to they need to repair that, we need to mend that. Christianity is primarily a relationship with the Creator. That's the blank. Primarily, primarily a relationship with the Creator. It is not primarily about escape from the last everlasting torment, although that's very important. But but we're not we're not offering fire insurance here. Have you ever heard that before? When people when people try to win people to Christ. And, and they call it fire insurance. Just do this because if it's real, at least you'll escape hell. That's not enough. That's not salvation. No, salva being saved from hell is a byproduct of having a relationship with God. He died for you. And so you have to have faith. You have to believe all this by faith. And you have to desire a personal walk with, with your Creator by faith. And then he will, he will help you to escape everlasting torment. But it's not just a Thing we do just in case the Christians are right, you see. It's not primarily about deliverance from life-dominating sins. And there are people who come to church just because they've got a problem and they can't fix it, and that's good, but we got to get past that to the really the problem 
which is this. You don't have a relationship with God, the Creator. God, God doesn't exist just to solve all your problems. We need to get right with God. We need to have a relationship with God, and then He can solve your problems. But primarily what we need is a relationship with God. It's not primarily about achieving creature comfort. It is primarily about a relationship with the Creator. God made you, and here's why. If you're wondering why you're here, what's my purpose in life? It's to have relationship with Him. That's why He created you. That's why you exist at all. That's the whole point. Now we know this, don't we, that man messed that up in the, in the Garden of Eden. And so here's what's cool. Man messed it up, and God fixed it. And that's why Jesus came. And the reason he came is so that we can, again, have relationship with our Creator. That's why. That's the whole purpose of all of this. God created man to be most satisfied, most joyful, and most useful when there is a personal relationship with his Creator. The blank is personal. <clears throat> the illustration, Luke 10, 38-42, we, we won't go there for sake of time, but it's the story where Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house. You're familiar with the story, and Mary and Martha are sisters, and Jesus comes to the house, and Martha's preoccupied about doing all this stuff and preparing the meal and getting the house ready and all of that. Well, when, when Jesus walks in, Mary stops all that because she wants to sit at Jesus' feet, you see? Now, Jesus didn't necessarily scold Martha because it's important that you work for him, but it's more important that you have a relationship with him, right? It's important that you serve God. It's important that you do things for him, but fundamentally what's most important is that we know him. And I think Christians oftentimes get so busy trying to do things for God that they forget God. Yeah. Yeah. Martha was preoccupied with doing things for the Lord. Mary was preoccupied with the Lord. You see? And so it's easy for us to become preoccupied with much busyness in serving the Lord, but we need to be focused on the Lord himself. Lord himself. Number two, more than being on speaking terms. On speaking terms. There must be much going on between the soul, that's the blank, my soul, and the Savior. Fellowship with God is more than just having all known sins confessed. Right? We might be right with God as far as that goes, but God wants, God wants more than, than just you're, he's not mad at you, you know? Which he's never mad, you know what I mean? Where, where he's not, where there's not something between us. He wants more than that. He wants a relationship. Fellowship with God involves also that we have an active relationship with God abiding in the vine. John 15 talks about how that he's the great vine and we need to abide in him. What does that look like? The illustration here is a marriage. A marriage is more than just sharing mutual goals and interests. It, I love this. It is not enough just to live in the same house. God intended for marriage to be a mutual interest in each other. Not just that we have the same interests, but that we have an interest in each other. Are you seeing the personal aspect of that? We don't need to just uh, like the things God likes and do the things God likes us to do. We need to like God. We need to have a relationship with Him, you see? 
We need to be interested, not in just what he's interested in, but we need to be interested in him. He's interested in you, and you need to be interested in him as a person, our creator God, not just a system of rules and beliefs. Those systems and rules of beliefs are important. Why? Because you're interested in him. And you do things for your wife and your husband. Why? Because you're interested in them, you see. But if you just mechanically do things, God knows that. Right? Primarily, we need to be interested in Him. The same is true in relationship with God. It's, it's not just that you share mutual interests and goals. It's not just that He helps you through life. It is that there is a growing relationship between you and God. That's what we need. That's what we desire. It's so important. I hate that my voice is like this. I hope it's not distracting because this is so critical. This is so critical. Your relationship should be characterized by this, a continual personal interaction. Continual personal interaction with God. No relationship, no relationship thrives, grows, progresses, or develops without healthy communication. And that's true in marital relationships, parent-child relationships, friendships, and so on. It must also be true in your relationship with God. And I want to pause and say this. It's not that you can just read your Bible and pray, and, and then you're going to magically have a desire and a relationship with God. It, it's backwards. We have to have a desire in our heart to know God. You see? We need to have a desire in our heart to have a relationship with Him, and then we talk to Him. You see? And then we hear from Him. But in your heart, listen, God's interested in your heart, and your heart needs to yearn and desire to know your Creator and then, born out of that, you read the Bible and you, t you, you just see how different it is. And you pray to God, because not just because it's something you do and hope that eventually you'll, you'll develop a relationship. No, you need to make a decision that you want a relationship and then you pray to God knowing He's a real person and you see how different your prayer life is when it's not just re repeating things you've heard other people say when they pray, but you're talking to a real personal God. That's what the pagans do. They pray to someone who they don't know is listening. We pray to a real God who is personal, who created you, who loves you, and He and God desperately desires a personal relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be true in your relationship with God. You can tell when a young couple is growing in love, can't you? And I'm, talking, I'm not talking about 16 years old. Blech, blech. Gross. Anyway, and when two people, grown adults who are ready to be married, are interested in each other, you can tell it, can't you? They like each other. Yep. You see them hanging out a lot. You see them talking a lot. You see them smiling when they're together. That's still true, right, Brother Tim? Even after 50, how many years? 75 years? Just kidding. 40 this summer. Amen. Yep. But when, you, when they're developing that relationship, you can tell, right? You can see it. You can tell when something's developing. And listen, the same is true in a person's relationship with God. When they are truly in love with God, you can see it. You can see it. There are two key elements in having a growing relationship with God, and that's the rest of our lesson today. Number three, we must, I already said this, but I'm going to say it again, we must have a desire for God, 
a desire for God. Jim Berg said, our greatest need is for God. Yet because of our sinful bent, we often resort to going our own way. That's the problem, isn't it? That's the, that's the, that right there is a the source of every problem in our life. That we have just decided to go our own way instead of God's way. The people of Jeremiah's days forsook their greatest source of life, a relationship with God, and they turned to sources of life that could not satisfy. That's the blank. It could not satisfy. And you know what primarily the problem was? Is that they were living a fake Judaism. The Judaism has been fulfilled now in Christianity, but they were living fake. They were worshiping God in a fake way. They didn't really mean it. They didn't really want to walk with God. They just showed up to the temple when they were supposed to because the priests were going to ask them if they weren't there. They were just, they were just doing their prayers or whatever they do. They were just doing the, the things because that's just what you do. But they never really had a walk with God. They never really desired to know God. And if you don't desire to know God and you just try to do the things, what's going to happen, it's not going to work. And it's going to feel empty. And it's not going to satisfy. And you're going to turn to stuff that you think will satisfy. And that's going to get even worse. Well, the only thing that satisfies is a thriving personal relationship with our God. And then when you have that desire, then you come to church. Then you read the Bible. Then you pray to God. Then you live the Christian life. And when those two things meet, that's fulfillment. But the people in Jeremiah's day weren't doing that. God places within those of us who are his children a desire for a relationship with him. And God is glorified when man takes his place of joyful, grateful dependence. Dependence. D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-C-E. Dependence. Berg said this, Any attempt to solve the problems of life apart from a dependent relationship with God is both arrogant and in the long run ineffective. Even, even just quoting verses when you're in the middle of something. All of these steps, which are helpful, but it has, it has to be born out of a, of a dependent relationship on, with God. It's not just do these things and everything will be better. It's only going to get better whenever you have a relationship with God again. You see? That's what we need. That's what we're after. It needs to be personal. Yeah. The woman at the well was living in an immoral situation. Her greatest problem was not her immorality, though. She made a lot of bad decisions, but that wasn't really her main problem. Her immorality, listen, was, a fruit, was the fruit of a deeper issue. What's that? Berg says this beautifully. The greatest problem was that she sought to fulfill the longing in her soul with something temporal. Relationships with mere men. Jesus offered her a relationship with her creator that would have permanent impact on her thirst for intimacy with another person. You see? God created you with a thirst for intimacy, and, and first and primarily that's with him. You see? A desire for God will translate into seeking God. And that's what our next one is. Number four, you must seek God. But you see, we have to have the desire first. We have to choose that we want this. You get to choose what you want. We need to choose that we want a relationship with God. 
and then born out of that desire to seek him. Letter A, it must be a passionate search. A passionate search. Everyone is passionate about something. Many are passionate about sports, entertainment, leisure, adventure, fashion, wealth, and achievement. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but what I'm saying is we can get passionate about things. What we make important, listen, what we decide is important to us is what we get passionate about. He either loves himself, that's the person for those things which please himself, or he loves God and his neighbor. Apathy toward God is the result, listen, of being passionate toward something or someone else. We can enjoy these things that we're talking about. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl and all of that. That's fine. We can enjoy those things. But when we make those things more important to us than God, that becomes an issue, doesn't it? That's why we become apathetic toward God, because we have allowed for something else to be our passion when God needs to be our passion. God desires to bring us to a place of having a single, undivided heart. There's so many verses that deal with this, and I encourage you to go listen, look those up on your own time. But God wants your heart. Again, He does not want your actions primarily. He does want them secondarily. But primarily, He wants your heart, and then born out of that heart, your actions, you see. Yeah. It must be a search for a person. A person. That's the blank. <clears throat> Seeking God is not just an exercise in exploring Bible content. I want to say that again, because that this happens a lot. Seeking God is not just an exercise in exploring Bible content or studying systematic theology. Hey, the Bible's interesting. It is. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of historical stuff. There's even scientific stuff. You can, you can link verses together and, 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 and do all the study, and that's cool. I'm a nerd. I love that. But, but there is a danger that sometimes we study the Bible, but not because we want to know God, just because it's very interesting. That's why the book of Revelation is so exciting to people, because it is interesting. It's like sci-fi, but in real life. It's going to happen. This isn't a fantasy. What happens in Revelation will happen. But it, but here's the reality: is it's exciting stuff. There's like there's like these hornets with with you know teeth of a lion and hair of a woman, and they're stinging people and they're flying around. And and there's these animals with horns, and and there's all this stuff that happens. And and it, it it's interesting to our flesh. We like it, but but we can't study the Bible just because it's interesting, or just because we want to know stuff. We want to study the Bible because we want to know God. And then the Bible helps us know Him. You see? Yeah. God is delighted when we delight in Him. God is delighted when we delight in Him. I will say this. We're not going to know God without the Bible. Right? So I'm, what I'm not saying is put the Bible down and, and just you know sit there and kumbaya and, you know, on, on the top of a rock and stand on one foot and you know, none of that. We're going to know God through His Word. That's the only way we're going to know who God is. But we have to first decide that we want to know Him. You see. When considering the biblical principles that guide our lives, 
we must, this is so good, we must be careful to consider the person who gave us those principles. See? Are you seeing it? That really encapsulates all we're doing this morning, isn't it? We do not simply need to know the Bible. We need to know the God of the Bible. See? Number five. Allow your relationship with God to shape your view of reality. Allow your relationship with God to shape your view of reality. He is your creator, and you're his creation. Understanding his greatness in this relationship will produce humility. Humility is the blank. You know, when we talk to God, I'm thankful that he's our friend, aren't you? I'm thankful that he wants a personal relationship with us. But he's also our creator. He's also the high and lofty one. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He made you. Remember that when you talk to him. We need to keep that spirit of humility and reverence with God, don't we? Now that we, But mixed with that is the humbling reality that he does want a personal relationship with us. And he's not like some, some powerful king who you have to you know, go through all these steps to get, come before his throne. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants that. He wants that sweet communion. But, but what makes that so incredible is the fact that he is our creator and he deserves reverence. You see? Pretty awesome. He's the father, and you're his child. Bless him. Understanding his goodness in this relationship will foster security. He's your father. You can trust him. You can trust him. You, he knows the future. He's in control. And he loves you more than you can ever know. You can trust him. You can trust him with your future. You can trust him with your decisions. You can trust that when you follow the principles of his word, that he will bless and guide and direct. And he will, he will turn it all out for your good and for his glory. You can trust that. Because why? Because God is good. Because God is good. God's word is good. But, but why is his word so good? Because he's good. You can trust him. He's the master, and you're a servant. Understanding his grace in this relationship will, will result in productivity. Productivity, I like that. I put it that way. The reason we serve him is not to earn his favor, but because he's already given us his favor, his grace, right? We don't serve him to impress him, Right? I think we need to really take that to heart because I think sometimes we feel like we're pretty awesome because we do a lot for God. God's not really impressed by that. We serve him because of his grace that he's already bestowed on us. He, he knows who we are. He knows we have nothing to offer him. And yet he loves us and he saved you from your sin and he's given you a new life. And we serve him not out of fear because what's going to happen if I don't? Not out of uh, trying to earn his favor 
but because of thankfulness and gratitude because of His grace that He's already paid for your sin. And because you love the Lord and you're thankful to Him, you serve Him with a happy heart instead of a heart of crippling fear and insecurity. Will He like me or not like me? No, God loves you. And He has thoughts of peace to you. And if you, if you know who, who the context of that was in Jeremiah, they did not deserve that God would have thoughts of peace to them. But God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. And he, you don't have to feel like, I don't know if God really likes me right now because I'm doing this or that. No, God loves you. And because God loves you, you should stop it. You see? But not so that He will love you, but because He loves you. And we serve Him out of love and out of thankfulness because of His grace. Not to earn His merit. Because we know who He is. And if you, listen, if you know who He is, if you really know who He is, you know you can't impress Him. Yeah. We just serve Him. Why? Because He's so good. He's, he has been good. And He deserves it. Yeah. Alright, we're going to take a few minutes. Whoa. I'm fast. Very good. We're going to take about five minutes here. And in just a second, Brother Josh, be ready for that. And we're going to read through these. I'll read through them first. I want you to think about them. And we're going to take about five minutes to, to write down or at least pray to God and make some decisions based on what we learned today, okay? So number one is this. Recognize the desire for God that He has placed within you if you're His child. I want to say this. If you're saved, God lives in you. And He has put a desire to serve Him within you. As a saved person, you can suppress that. And I'm not here to question anyone's salvation, but if you have, listen, hear me, if you have no desire to please God with your life, that's a red flag. If you, don't, if you do not care if your life pleases God or doesn't please God, that's a, that's a reason to question if you're His child or not. It's a red flag. Because those who are saved, God has put within them a desire. He's changed them into a new creature. God himself lives in you. The Holy Spirit is in you if you're saved. And there is within you, there is within every Christian a desire. Now, do you always do that? No. Do we allow the desire to be our own person to be greater than that desire? A lot of times we do. But if there is no desire, if there is no desire, that's a, that's a problem. But if you're saved... What we need to do is foster that desire, you see? We need to recognize that desire, and we need to kindle that desire, you see? And some of us maybe have lost that desire. Let's rekindle. It's there. It's always there, if you're saved. But we need to rekindle that and truly want to know God, you see? So there's that. Let it be. Seek God wholeheartedly and personally. Remember that God is a personal God who wants relationship with you. Not just Don't just do the things, but personally know Him. That's what He wants. That's what He wants. And then let her see you spend time interacting with God to develop that relationship. And so we're going to play some music for the Josh, if you wouldn't mind. And you do business with God.